All right, thanks for joining us on another episode of Trek About Presents. And before we launch into our discussion of Attack of the Clones, which I think you're going to like, <laughs> and I, we definitely need to talk about it because, oh boy, uh, we would like to make a very special announcement that we also talked about on yesterday's episode of Trek About, which is that we now have a Patreon. So uh, there are some cool perks. Uh, we're doing some uh, things that we want to you know, kind of like uh, get out to you guys, you know, special episodes, things of that nature. Um, not expensive. If you want to throw us a couple bucks to help out with sort of things like hosting fees and, you know, uh, 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 podcasting fees and all kinds of crazy stuff like that, uh, you can do so. This is not necessarily going into our pockets. Uh, but at the same time, I might use $5 to buy myself a beer to get through Revenge of the Sith, perhaps. Uh, so yeah, but give us some money. What do you think about that, Richard? I'm happy about the idea. I like money. Okay. Let's talk about Attack of the Clones. I, I think we need to take a... The, the listeners need to take on a different role in this episode. Uh, what would that be? Because normally they're our audience. They're, you know, invited into our television living room. You know, we... But I think they're going to have to act as our therapists on this one because this was probably... I can't say this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but it was probably one of the worst movies I've seen this decade. Yeah. Uh, I was actually surprised by how bad Attack of the Clones is. You know, I I, I, <laughs> I managed to see all three of these in the theater in their original releases. Uh, you know, I had some memories of The Phantom Menace. I have vague memories of, of Revenge of the Sith, which I actually didn't even want to see. I just, I think I got dragged to it <laughs> well, by a friend or something. Well, after seeing this, I can't blame you. Well, and that's, that's my point, is that I didn't remember really anything about Attack of the Clones, and I think it was because my brain erased the memory in an attempt to protect me from trauma. Um, you know, before watching this, like, like, you know, I, I knew a bunch about uh, a Phantom Menace, you know, I knew Queen Amidala, I knew Jar Jar, I knew Pod Racing, you know, all of those kind of things, Qui-Gon, Darth Maul. I know a little bit about Revenge of the Sith, you know, obviously I know that's how, you know, you know Padme dies, you know, that's how Anakin becomes Darth Vader. I knew nothing about Attack. Wait, what? What happens? I know. Um, spoiler, sorry. I knew nothing about... Attack of the Clones, and I think the answer is because there is nothing to know about this. Well, nothing happens. This is, yeah, this I movie mean... has no plot. You know, we we were talking about how you could cut out, you know, the first movie and you wouldn't notice, but what the fuck happened in this movie? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is what's this is it what's w- so. I mean, I don't want this to 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 devolve into some sort of pile on about just this movie's bad. This movie's bad but for, I- for forty five minutes. But you know, the Phantom Menace has has such a weird reputation. And actually, I mean, you know, as we talked last week, it, it's not all bad. And and there are parts of the Phantom Menace that are yeah. are incredibly bad, like Jar Jar and and you know, uh, 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 all, you know, young Anakin is is not great. But overall, it's just kind of a mediocre movie. Yeah, this cut is- about a half hour, and you would have something watchable. You know. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is just this is bad. Like you know, if if the Phantom Menace is bland and mediocre, this is actively bad. I mean, you know, it was just everything was a mis. You know, we were saying like last week, Liam Neeson was better than the movie, but any scene that he was in, he was really awesome. In you know, I liked what I liked watching him. Uh, Natalie Portman, very young, though very was very good in the movie too. You know, all of that in here, nobody is good in this movie. I think, you know, the scene between, you know, Samuel L. Jackson and Christopher Lee, two of, you know, the most iconic actors, you know, and just 
uh, you know, nothing happens in their confrontation. Like, it's just that should be one of those scenes like Darth Vader and Obi-Wan from, you know, A New Hope where it's just holy shit. They're, they're you know, sizing each other. You know, it should be one of those scenes, but it's just so lame. Everything it, is so airy. It's it's yeah, it's really interesting because I, I was looking, um, uh, you know, doing some research uh, for the podcast. And I, I, I don't know if it was Christopher Lee. It was one of the actors um, in, in The Phantom Menace, actually. Oh, it was the guy who played uh, the, the chancellor in The Phantom Menace. Um, I forget his name, but v- Valorius, I think. OK. And and he was talking, you know, the, the question posed to him was, you know, uh, uh, is George Lucas as as uninterested in, in directing actors as as his reputation? And the guy basically said, "Yeah." And and you know there was a story, and this is ap- apocryphal, but but apparently there was a, a a trivia story about the Phantom Menace, which basically said that um, George Lucas decided to to remove a smile from from Jake Lloyd's face and paste it onto another take. And and he asked the actor if that was true, and the actor was like, I, "I've never heard that story, but it wouldn't surprise me." Huh. Which I think says a lot about you know. And this is an actor who has worked with George Lucas, saying they wouldn't surprise me if he did that. So obviously, the man either doesn't know how to direct actors or has no interest in it. I, either way, I mean, he's interested in the spectacle, but that's okay. But he's trying to, you know that that would that's the thing. If you know. It's pretty infamous that the romance scenes, you know, bog this movie down very much. Um, why, why are they in love? Like, you know, this is this is what's pro- this is the the fundamental problem with Attack of the Clones is that everything happens because it has to happen. There's no actual uh, there's no actual plot motivation for anything that happens. Yeah. I I don't know why Padme and Anakin are in love. I mean, Anakin is is obviously uh, some sort of creepy stalker. Uh, I mean, it makes sense for him to be in love with her. Sure, she. He imprinted. You know, imp- she was. The, yeah, he imprinted at the moment he, you know, left his mother, and it was a very significant time for him. And he was a very significant. Like, sure, you know, and but sh- you know, I could buy that their relationship has that kind of thing. Anakin is obsessed with this woman, and he eventually you know I, I think that's an interest you know that that could be an interesting note to this character who, right she is very you know politically strong she is has you know she's really good in a fight and all of this and yet you know she's in a relationship with essentially an abuser you know who is coerced like that could have been if, if if this story had been written and directed by somebody with an inkling of knowledge about psychology that <laughs> or, would or, be or, yeah. or human relationships <laughs> or anything i mean she could be a very fascinating character in that way but they he doesn't realize this and so it just makes no sense you know yeah and i think too it's 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 indicative of of you know major problems with the way that the 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 story is is structured because you know things just plot along from one direction to another without seeming any sort of connection whatsoever i mean you know characters go from one planet to the other for for reasons that that seem sort of ill-defined you know uh, there there's all so actually i want to tease out the plot of this movie because i don't get it and i think well i think that okay so as i understand the plot of attack of the clones and we, we don't usually do this but no no like i i think we need to i i i think and i correct me if i'm wrong uh so so there's there's supreme chancellor palpatine and the trade federation and they're sort of like trying to get away from the republic for reasons that are ill-defined and uh, uh so there's this movement the separatist movement sure that's led by count dooku I don't know who that is. Like that's part. That's a problem. Yeah. With the movie is like nothing is explained. It's, yeah, either. they they mention him a couple times, but he doesn't show up. And, and you know, 
No, he's in the movie. But it doesn't show up till like halfway through and at which point it's like we should all recognize – you know what I mean? Like he – I don't know. They should have established him earlier I think. I don't know who he is though. That's the problem. I it's thought like, he was the leader of the separatists. But but yeah, but, yeah. Who, but, but who? Like I – you know, that's the problem with it is like who the hell is Count Dooku? Like he's a he's – That's a, true. Is he the count of that planet? Is he – He's he's a Sith. Like, is he the replacement for Darth Maul from The Phantom Menace? Because they always say that there are only two. They said in the, in the Phantom Menace that there are only two Sith yeah. ever. Yoda said that at the end of the movie. So we know that that uh, uh, Palpatine is the Sith Lord, right? And I guess Count Dooku is his replacement as his apprentice because yeah. Darth Maul died. Why isn't he called Darth Dooku? I guess just because that would be really ridiculous. <laughs> Why is his name Dooku? Um, what like what? We have to talk about the names too because I mean I think George no, Lucas is I, famous I, Eric, for. No, Eric, we're going to go into that rabbit hole. No, I, I really want to because yeah. I think it's indicative of the problems with George Lucas well, and his writing. Is you know he comes up with these incredibly uh, uh, asinine sounding names like Dooku. You've got the planet of um, Naboo. Naboo. You've got Camino, which is like a car. Uh, but it's like I don't know in the, the whole original thing, trilogy. I mean, you have Luke. Skywalker, Han Solo, Tatooine, Dagobah. Like, these are really cool names. Yeah. Like, the names are really good in the original. This seems like, you know what all of this seems like is like a 12-year-old who saw the, it's the 12-year-old's fan fiction is these, are these movies. And yet the problem is this is made by the original creator and, you know, a, a team of, you know, Hollywood people. Do you know what well, I mean? I think, like, well, I think what you really see here, again, I mean, we mentioned this last week, but when George Lucas has almost complete creative control yeah. of, of the franchise, it's a really bad thing. I mean, you know, uh, for, for all of um, the original Star Wars, you know, successes and faults, I think a large portion of why they're so good is because George Lucas had other people there that were yeah. looking at his scripts, were rewriting them. I mean, you know, there's there's nobody. I mean, there's a there's a a a, a, a teleplay by or I forget what exactly what they say in the movies. It's not a teleplay. It's it's the script. But at the end of the movie, it says that George Lucas and some other guy worked on the script, and it was based on a story by George Lucas. I don't know who that person is, and I really hope that – I mean, if someone else worked on this script besides George Lucas, I cannot believe how bad the script must have been it, it, when George Lucas just wrote it because yeah. this – I mean – It's uh, obviously somebody who you know, didn't really have much power. You know, I mean, I, I can see George Lucas being intimidating to work with and, you know, not people not wanting to say no to that. I mean, he's it's when when certain people get to a certain stature in terms of production, direction, writing or whatever, uh, you know, that tends to happen, you know. Sure. He, he need you know, there, there, there isn't anyone saying no to him and someone needed to say no to a lot of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think to a, you know, to a large degree, uh, that that was kind of the fundamental problem with with the first season of the Next Generation as well, you know, because mm. nobody was saying no to George Lucas and no one was saying uh, uh, no to his lawyer. Um, and, and then when they started saying no, the story, <laughs> you know, it got a lot better. But but yeah, and I think that that I don't know the, the Attack of the Clones. Like you're right, like nothing happens, nothing of consequence happens. It's called Attack of the Clones. I, I don't know why. It feels like set up for a TV show, which I know exists, but I don't want to watch it because why would I want to do that? And also, wasn't it like 10 years later that they made the TV show as well? I like, it's, don't it's, think so. I don't know. It wasn't like right away. You know, it wasn't like they made Attack of the Clones and then the series did, you know, debuted the next year, I thought. I don't know. Anyway. I actually, I mean, what does it matter? But yeah, I think that, that you know, so you've got all the separatist movement. You've got this dead Jedi that like, and this is the problem. Jedi. 
But this is exactly the problem with George Lucas is that we had a movie that was set 10 years ago. It was called The Phantom Menace. Like, why don't you have that Jedi in that movie? And then, you know, it's like establish the character. Okay, let me let me let me tell you, because I did some research, too. Oh, God. (laughs) Is he in the movie? No. no, Are are you ready? I'm ready. I think because I think you should sit down for this one. I am sitting down. Okay, so um, obviously this whole clone army, you know, was made by, you know, Palpatine as part of his gambit, which I think we will figure out, you know. Uh, Sure. Let's just say that everything bad in the movie has happened. So Palpatine, who is Dark Sidious. So Darth Sidious. Yes. Not Dark Sidious, right? Anyway, um... So, not that it matters. In but. the original script, uh, the order f- came from a dark side Odias, who is obviously supposed to be Darth Sidious's pseudonym. A typo. What? Uh, wait, wait. Let me finish. A typo to Sifo Dias made George Lucas say, "Okay, well, we'll make that a character," and that's what happened. I don't understand what you just said. I know. That's, that's, this is what I read TV tropes before doing this, and that's what it said. I don't, what? Like, <laughs> I, uh. it's, it's, but that's indicative of this entire, I mean, that's indicative of the way that George Lucas operates. The man does not know how to write a story. Like, okay. and, and he doesn't know how to set things up. He doesn't know how to resolve things. I mean, so my, underst- my understanding of this plot and the whole, because here's also like, here's the thing. I think each movie, has just this this Palpatine scheme is so weird and Byzantine and all, I mean we are seeing it that un, that unfold through this these doesn't movies. need to be that uh, this doesn't need to be that complicated so I mean, yeah that I was mean, that I, was the thing about the original trilogy is that yeah. it, was, it wasn't complicated you had the Empire and you had the rebels and it was very understood yeah. and it was very easy it was good versus evil um, it's interesting because uh, uh, the AV club a few weeks ago they did this you know in preparation uh, for the force awakens which we'll talk about in, in a couple weeks um, they they made they did this uh, roundtable thing where they talked about um, if you could change one thing about the Star Wars universe what would it be and uh, Igni uh, um, who actually was one of the two uh, TV movie critics uh, on the rebooted uh, Roger Ebert TV show that was on a few years ago that, that unfortunately failed. Um, he had a really interesting point, which which I had never thought about before, which was that the, the primary problem with these Star Wars prequels is that the original Star Wars was like this this weird amalgamation of all of these different influences, mm. like the 40s serials and you know um, Chinese martial arts and you know all this kind of weird stuff, right? And he made the point that the primary problem with the prequels is that their primary influence is Star Wars, mm. and and so everything that comes in this movie is like filtered through a lens of of Star Wars having to sort of be um, very very faithful to Star Wars and its look and feel and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is that Star Wars is not a good influence because Star Wars has nothing really. There's no yeah. substance to it. And it's so, a second generation story, and this is it's a it's a copy of a copy in a way. Yeah, but and, like it's weird because these movies don't feel at all like the original trilogy. Like the worlds don't seem at all the same, and I you know in a way that only 20 years and you know the decline of you know a government can't explain do you know what i mean yeah like, i mean well i think that that you know i, I the, the timeline is a problem as well because the scale is completely off well they're fl- you know it's it's funny cuz they they flit around the galaxy very easily i think that that i mean i don't know this is my own interpretation i don't actually know how much time passes between say 
uh, Attack of the Clones and Return of the Jedi. But it seems to me that it's quite a while because it's, I mean, Darth yeah. Vader looks pretty old in the end of Return of the Jedi. I mean, he looks like he's about, I don't know, well, 50 or 60 years old and he's only 20 in this movie. So you could very easily say, okay, 30 or 40 years has passed. Well, hang on. Hang on. Cause, um, from A New Hope to Return of the Jedi, I think we figured was about five years because, you know, Luke, I think so. Yeah. Luke's, you know, between, you know, in his very late teens, he's about 19 and then he's early 20s and, you know, early to mid 20s in the others. So um, and it's got to got to be about this. So then it's about 15 to 20 years between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. You know, because he's born at the end of Revenge of the Sith, right? Yeah, so that doesn't seem right. Yeah, so this, I mean, so this is at most 25 years later is, you know, the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and that just doesn't seem right But I mean, me. you know, I mean, how does, how dark does every, side ages him. How does everybody forget about the Jedi? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, these are problems that you, you can't really... I mean, part of it is is um, you know there are things about a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, and there's weird tangents, and there's there's things that are set up in earlier. Th- you know, there, that's the problem with all kinds of things. I mean, you know, you you have sort of throwaway lines of dialogue, and you never really intended this to go on this long. And so Han Solo saying something about an old hokey religion, and nobody really understands the Jedi. That that could be explained away. I mean, that it seems in that movie like the Jedi have been gone for five hundred yeah. years. Like nobody in living memory has any. It's uh, like someone talking about the Templars now. Right. Exactly. Exactly, but that's obviously not the case because it was twenty five years ago. Yeah. So, so, but, but it it, it invites that level of criticism you know, because there is no other way to look at it because George Lucas just doesn't have a good enough grasp of story structure or or pacing, you know, foreshadowing anything like that. And and if this, if this was really t- if this if this trilogy was really tightly plotted and yeah. constructed and made logical sense and the story was good, I would you, you could overlook things like that. But but because they're so badly constructed, there's no way to really criticize it without bringing up things like that. See, you've never read Dune, right? No. Okay. Well, um, it, I, I've tried a couple of times. Yeah, it's it does go into it's a similar you know mystical sci-fi and all of this. But it deals with the scale better. I mean, they have there are thousands of years between books, you know, and centuries, you know, pass and things yeah. like that. And so there are these weird, you know, sea changes and everything becomes really weird, you know, at, you know, in relation. I mean, yeah, it does seem like hundreds of years. Meanwhile, I mean, what I'm thinking is I recently played uh, Knights of the Old Republic, which is supposed to take place a thousand years between the, you know, before the prequel trilogy yeah and it doesn't really feel that different there's all these you know callbacks it's society would be completely different look at the real world you see the way that i mean that's that's a problem that i have with a lot of sci-fi and fantasy is that you know you have these you know the the civilization stays the same you know just yeah you know you don't want to think about you know technology changing i think that's actually one of the things that star trek actually gets pretty good you know i mean for, for all of its faults the original series the, the the civilization of the universe and the, the sort of culture of it feels different than, yeah. than the later stuff. And it, we've you know, talked about that actually a lot. You know, we talked about you know in Kirk's day. You know, this is and Picard is in a very different day. You know? Right, exactly. So I like that, and I think you're right that that Star Wars doesn't really do that. And I think that you know it, it's a problem though because. I don't care that much about the timeline, but I just think, again, it's indicative of the kind of problems that George Lucas has in constructing it a story that makes consistent. sense. No, it doesn't. And, and you know, the like scenes in this movie don't really have resolutions. People just sort of stop talking and yeah. then they go on to something else. Um, they feel very disconnected from, from every, like the, 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 the part, the, the different storylines in this movie feel very disconnected. I mean, you know, Obi-Wan is off doing yeah. something which I don't really understand and he stumbles on a secret meeting of the, of the um, Brotherhood of of evil 
and you know like yeah. and and then he he gets kidnapped or something uh i have to say his his scenes on the cloning planet that was the only part of the movie i really liked because i thought the design of the aliens was really good um it was you know it was some nice visuals it was kind of it was almost a plot he is and i have to say during that entire sequence it was ridiculous because he's he's not even pretending to be a spy in that one like obviously he's in a situation that he doesn't know that well. And he's all but saying, like, look, I don't know who I'm supposed right. you know, to he's not He's not playing along as well as, you know, you would think he would have. You know, he's not pretending. And so it comes off, it comes off terribly. I mean, Obi-Wan seems like a bad agent. Yeah. And I think, but but I think part of that is just the fact that that nobody yeah. in this movie is really giving a good performance. Yeah, and you but know, there's also nothing to go again. That scene, you know, you have Christopher Lee and you have uh, you know Samuel L. Jackson confronting yeah. each other, and you know these lines should be dripping with weight. You know yeah. stuff that you know these are two people who can chew the fucking scenery. You know, give them, but their lines are just. I'll see if you'll see if we'll see about that, Count Dooku. Ha ha, Jedi. You know, like yeah, that. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, there's nothing. Well, there. What, what you're really, what you're really saying, I think, is that a lot of the problems with this movie, and I think the prequel trilogy in general, yeah. is that it's it's based on tell and not show. And there's a reason why show and not tell is a primary tenet yeah. of, of of movies. I mean, there's yeah. we're, why do we're you told... assemble this cast if you're gonna if you're gonna tell and not show? You know? Yeah, it's like we're we're told this is happening. We're told this is happening we're told that they're in love we're told you know and it's like we're not shown any of this i don't actually think that these people are feeling anything nothing in this movie feels important because they're there and it's not because you know they could elevate a bad script i have seen a lot of movies with with terrible scripts that are that are pretty decent you know um i mean hitchcock is famous for that i think he's made it you know a few movies that um have not great scripts i mean they're not terrible but he does elevate the material um and there's just no way to to do that with this movie because of George Lucas. And here yeah and you know it's directed as if he thinks that this is all good like he gives such a focus to these love scenes. You know, again it would be one thing if, you know, they they were just all right, this is going to be just a quick 2 second scene, you know, and we'll just have yeah. you know it's one thing if we have like, all right, they're at a picnic, you know, and they're dancing and next they're kissing and then they're talking about how it's forbidden. You know, if you have that, you know, I can fill in the blanks myself and say, all right, they're in love. Fine. You know, I can, you know, all right, it's partially accelerated because they're, you know, 20 and in danger, you know, fine. You know, that that that's. Well, think about but, but think about the relationship between Han Solo and Leia. Yes. Like there was, uh, uh, we believed that they were in love by the end of empire strikes back because we had seen them spar they had some chemistry you know and they were played by you know harrison ford and carrie fisher let's not forget well I, you know i don't want to you know, but i don't want to cri- but i don't want to criticize hayden christensen and 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 what's her name Na- um, natalie portman <laughs> i just say natalie portman i know is i, I they, they're good actors i actually i actually she think is. that i know him i i i actually think that hayden christensen gives the best performance in the movie Really? Yeah, okay. because he actually feels like he's acting. Like he feels. Yeah, like that's true. He's, he's the only person in the movie that actually feels like he has any emotion. Um, yeah, it's overwrought, and I don't think that. But I don't. But I, I don't, mean, that is partially the point. I, yeah, I don't think that he's. Ele- I don't think that he's elevating the bad dialogue, but I think that he's doing the best job that he knows how to do with this material. And I think that he's actually swinging for the fences, and he's hitting hmm. more than he's missing. That's. I I I will you know I think that that I believe that. He is a, a, a deeply disturbed person who is, you know, when he goes into that camp and he starts slaughtering the the whatevers, 
you know, that's a really good scene. I think that, you know, when he's able to get material that actually feels like it's it's meaningful, he does a good job. I now, would say when the scene, I, I want to say the scene afterwards when he's telling her about the massacre, that's probably the, that's also probably one of the best acting scenes in the movie. I mean, he, yeah. is, you know, he is, you know, going between angry to freaked out to crying to you know he is feeling he's feeling a lot of things at once and expressing him like a 16 year old who really is you know kind of emotionally stunted which is what he is you know you're you're yeah, that is that is a fair point. i think he's supposed to be a little older than that but, but yeah you know, but, but you know still like he i think it's actually part of the point of the movie that he's not acting his age because he hasn't really been socialized properly. No, absolutely. Yeah, he hasn't been. I mean, he was a slave for the first eight years of his life, and then he was taken away by the Jedi, and that can't be fun. You know, and so I think that, that, you know, he does a pretty good job, and I think, you know, you're right. The problem is that, again, this was the problem with The Phantom Menace, is that you have people that are acting in a green screen. They don't have anything to interact with. They don't have, you know, for for large portions of the movie, they, you know, there are practical effects in the movie. I mean, you know, it's interesting because you, I mean, I I can usually tell when it's a practical versus CGI. Like, for example, um, the very end of the movie with R2-D2 going through the thing, like, that's actually, I can tell that's actually a physical like object, but everything else around him is CGI. Well, yeah. But but you know, and that's the problem with it is that like I think Christopher Lee and and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, they're not getting they're not getting good direction from George Lucas. He's probably off. I don't know, jacking off to the latest CGI or something. <laughs> and and uh, that was crude. I apologize. Industrial but, light and masturbation. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> But but you know it's it's like the the focus is on the wrong place in nearly every scene. Like people seem like they're like staring off into the middle distance. Like there's nothing there. They're looking at air. You can tell they're looking at nothing. Like people are just sort of like reciting lines without any sort of emotion whatsoever. I mean the Jedi scenes should be really dynamic and they're just boring. Like the 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 council seems boring. This is we are, yeah we are getting to see when the Jedi are fighting. We are getting to see a huge group of Jedi in their prime, fighting a large-scale battle. This should be awesome, you know? This should be one of those... And it's okay. Yeah! Like, it's not It's not embarrassing. I, I like... Uh, the one, like, action set piece in the movie that I actually do really like is when uh, Obi-Wan, um, uh, Anakin, and, and Padme are, are chained up and they yeah. have to get out of it. Like, I think that that's a good example of, of what I think a Jedi would do. And but, it's good, you know, it's good because, you know, we only have really three things to focus on in that. Yeah, bit, yeah. And each of them are doing something very different. And it's, and it's not over, it's not an overly long scene, you know. It's, right. It lasts as long as it needs to. But then, of course, you've got the, yeah. the, the, the droids coming in, and then you have all the Jedi, and then you have Yoda swooping down on the battleships with the clone army and it's just like there's too much going yeah. on and and c3po and his adventure with the other head yeah and, you know i mean one of the big problems with the cgi is that it feels very airless and this movie isn't even making a, a, a an acknowledgement that physics exists like they've seen the very first big action sequence through coruscant when they're in this car chase. Oh basically. yeah, that's awful. I know. Like the, I was joking at the part where is it you know when uh, 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 Anakin jumps off and you know he you know Obi Wan catches him you know uh, you know and swoops down to and it's like but he would still fucking splat against the car you know right. it, it doesn't the car isn't any softer you know and it's like it's 
I get that these are characters who are magic. I want it to be very spectacular when they do something which breaks the laws of physics. Yeah. You know, when it's when, – you know, because that should be – the Jedi should be special, you know. The Jedi being well, able that's to, and the, yeah, and this it doesn't feel special because there feels like no physics to break in this. Movie. And that's my problem again with the I think the end of the movie with Yoda because yeah. I love Yoda comes in he you know they're they're doing their force battle I love it and then he starts jumping around yeah. <laughs> with a lightsaber I don't buy it like it 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 you know Yoda should you know for me I, you know Yoda should just be there standing there I mean like Christopher Lee can come at him with a lightsaber and Yoda should just be like nah nah brah I'm good like that, I was gonna I, say they, this is your opportunity to have two wizards flinging fireballs at each other frankly yeah and then, I mean Yoda yeah like and he's the, he's jumping around like a pinball it's ridiculous when he catches the lightning and he's throwing it like that's awesome that's a really nice moment because it's you know. Again, you, you, it's cool to see two wizards battling. Yeah, that's know? that was great. But then he he gets a lightsaber out and it turns into a cartoon. You know, and it's just that's just the, the whole movie was a cartoon, but not in the good way. You know, and yeah. not in a way which and not none of it really looked cool. I mean, it's one thing to have a cartoon which doesn't have to have any realism to it, and you know, you can really, well. You know, frankly, I think that that one of the worst uh, scenes in the movie is. Uh, when uh, Padme and Anakin are in the factory. Oh, and, God, and, yeah. You know, when dun, we were, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, when we were watching the movie, I joked that I hate this level, you know, because yeah. it really did feel like they were in a video game. And and you can actually really tell it that. I mean, I think the CGI is actually really bad in that scene. And, you know, like it, it it's, I mean, not to say that the CGI itself is bad. It looks as good as anything else in the movie, but um, just the way that they're kind of integrated into it. And you can yeah. actually tell the green screen effects in a couple scenes. And it just, it doesn't look right. You don't feel in, yeah. And it, and it makes it very obvious and you don't feel in danger for them, you know? No, because you know that they're not going to die. I mean, you know, and that's kind of the problem with a lot of the movie. I think, I think that's kind of a, a, a fundamental problem with a lot of the, the, the prequel trilogy in general is that. You know, Obi-Wan, Anakin, we know that these characters have to be safe. We know that Padme has to be safe until Anakin and her, like, hook up and she gives birth to, to Luke and Leia because yeah. we know that they exist and they have to exist. You know, we know that Emperor Palpatine isn't going to die. We know that Yoda's not going to die. And so there, it, it sucks a lot of the, the, the energy out of the scenes because yeah. there's no stakes. Like, but I mean, know- like, you know— this isn't the first thing to do. A, this isn't the first prequel of anything. You know, a lot of you know works do prequels, but still manage to make a, a feeling of stakes. And I mean, oh yeah, I'm not saying it's a problem should, with prequels. You in know, general. no, no, no. This, I mean, this should have the weight of tragedy to it. You know, we see uh, this. You know, we see Palpatine as getting power while everybody's very ignorant of it. You know, and. We should see Anakin as somebody who wants to do good and has noble intentions but is falling prey to the, you know, and, and, you know, all of this. But, again, because of the air, because they're focusing on these terrible action scenes and because they're putting no effort into the, you know, the romance scenes or the scenes or explaining the plot. Again, it's, it's, it makes no God, you know, it's, it's really difficult. So Palpatine set is... Dooku's master in Sith terms. That's what I think, yeah. So what he does is he tells Count Dooku, okay, assemble a droid army, pretend you're going to separate from the Republic. That way, I'm going to get Jar Jar Binks to make me, you know, the dictator of everything. Sure. And then say that I'm going to make an army. Meanwhile, we're going to pretend, you know, 10 years ago, pretending to be a Jedi master, 
I ordered a bunch of clones. Those are just going to happen to be discovered at around the time that we need an army. So we'll bring them out. But he wasn't pretending, though, because the guy existed. Obi-Wan said he was dead. Yeah, well, well, well then what? So then was he a Sith? Who? Obi-Wan? Was, no, Dar- Sifo Dia. Was that Darth Maul? I don't know. I have no answer for you. Like, because if that were the case, <laughs> if that were the case, that would be interesting. So it's probably not what the case is. No, it's probably not at all. <sighs> so let's say that Siphon Diaz is really well, a Sith. Here, I mean, yeah. Here's the sure. thing: like, none of this is fucking make. I don't get it. It makes no sense. I mean, and this is the problem with it: is like, you know, George Lucas knew going in that he was going to make three movies because he knew that these were going to be yeah. hugely successful. He knew that he had the money to make them. It doesn't seem to me that he actually took advantage of that knowledge whatsoever and actually wrote the three movies to be discrete parts of one story. It's like, yeah, like you would think he would outline, you know, through the three at once and then, you know, sprinkle, you know, the plot points around and, you know. There, there are some people that are good at plot jazz, and George Lucas is not one of them. I think that, that you know, yeah. interestingly enough, I think that these movies would have been better if they were done by someone who wrote for television. Because I think that that yeah. you know, imagine imagine these these movies done by by uh, someone like um, uh, the creator of Breaking Bad or yeah. you know, like something like that. I mean, it would be so much better. It would make so much more sense. And George Lucas, I don't think, has that kind of brain. I mean, which is I, fine. I feel like I, this may these movies may have been better as a series as it is you know yeah if you yeah you know obviously that means a lot more time but like you can tell that they like i feel like these movies are either too long or too short this should have this one was two hours and two and a half hours i think it's like two hours and 15 minutes 20 minutes i feel like like it would have been better if it were two hour and a half long movies you know yeah because obviously he wants to explore this world that he's created but there's no time for it, you know? Well, and also, and, frankly, I think a lot of the reason why is that, you know, he made three movies because he kind of shoehorned himself into a corner when he retroactively yeah. made The Empire Strikes Back episode five. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so it's like you go back and you have to make episodes one, two, and three. And and it's like you have to make sure that you actually have a story there. Yeah. I mean, you know, when they made, when he made the decision to make that episode five, it was just to make it seem like an epic thing. He never had any intention of making these movies. There was no story here. He, you know, it, that that's kind of the thing and about it, it you is know, you you look at you look at a lot of what people say about about Star Wars. And it's like, oh, we had this all planned out. It's like, no, he didn't. He wrote yeah. Star Wars. It was a big hit. Then he decided to make a sequel. There are weird things in Star Wars that are never explained. Like I, you know, the whole thing about Darth Vader being Luke's father did not come about until The Empire Strikes Back. That's why they say that his father is dead. You know, and then he makes these prequels there was no intention to ever make these he had no story here so he has to come up with a story and frankly this is a man who has not written a script in you know 20 (laughs) years and and he's not good at it he's very out of practice he was never good at it to begin with and it's just it's aggravating the 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 sheer waste of time and money involved in these movies is astounding i I don't you know i mean that maybe that's another another reason this would have been better as a series is because you wouldn't have had these huge you know epic action sequences that go nowhere you know yeah (laughs) like that yeah that's it it's just they're trying to make a spectacle but the spectacle isn't cool and it's not attached on any kind of framework that's even remotely interesting right right i mean it's just there's no there's no way that you can really make sense of this you know there's just no way i hate this movie yeah it's it's awful it's 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 an awful movie in nearly every respect um I do want I do want to talk about uh, Anakin though because you know 
Anakin, I think, is the one part of the movie that actually works. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about the acting. But, you know, Anakin in this movie, I think, really needs to be the kind of the fulcrum around where everything else happens. I think it's probably the right choice that that he's not the, the focal point of the movie because mm-hmm. he's not really he's not really doing much in this movie. You know, Obi-Wan is, is, is sort of spying around and the Jedi council is doing things and Emperor Palpatine and all of this stuff. Right. And Anakin is just sort of on the sidelines, you know, and he's still an apprentice, but I like, I think he's the one character in the movie that actually has an interesting story progression. (laughs) Uh, you know, he, he comes into the movie, you know, he's, he's 10 years older. He's, he's uh, an apprentice. He's a Jedi. He's very, very powerful. Everyone is telling him he's very powerful. And he's very good at being a Jedi. You know, he he has this undercurrent of sort of distrust and and, and anger. And the movie kind of moves him along in that way in a very yeah. nice fashion. And I think it's the one part of the movie that works. I was going to say, you know, his arc in a lot of ways, um, I've read a lot about Combine, and he almost does remind me of a Dylan Klebold type, someone who is just kind of very angry and seething yeah. and very internal and not really good. and who just manages to latch on to the very wrong person who, you know, is very able to... I mean, Anakin is a person who is very easily able to be weaponized. And, yeah, yeah. You know, that that's... You know, this episode, this episode, this um, movie... You, you can yeah, call it an episode. Whatever it, it is. It is an episode. The, 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 this goddamn mess that we watched um, Also, is, you know, that's funny you mentioned that, though, because in, I never really... That never really clicked for me before, but I, I don't think it's incidental that these are called episodes. No. I think you're right. I think that as a television show, this might work better. But anyway. You know, yeah, it's it's a season of a show. But um, yeah, I I mean, this is – it's weird because I feel like we're still waiting for something to begin. I mean, Phantom Menace, I said, it feels like a prologue. You know, this is like something that's, you know, this is the backstory for – but now it feels like we're getting another volume of backstory. You know, this is part – you know, and maybe we – it wouldn't feel as bad if this were – Indeed, you know, Phantom Menace didn't exist, and it begins with, you know, Obi-Wan is the master, and uh, Anakin is his apprentice, and, you know, we can well, talk about who Qui-Gon Jinn is, you know. <clears throat> I think that, you know, what, what what's interesting about, about the misdirection of these movies is, if you look at the original trilogy— you know, you had the rebels, you had the empire, but we didn't get a lot of scenes of the 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 rebel alliance sitting around planning things. We didn't get a lot of scenes in the of the emperor. You know, we didn't really get a lot of scenes of the emperor and Darth Vader sitting around yeah. planning things. You know, the movie is more interested in uh, uh, telling us sort of the top level stuff in 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 a way that the original trilogy was not you know the original trilogy was really about these characters it was really about their journey they were helping out obviously there were big things happening but they were always involved you know we we didn't get a lot of scenes where these characters are not involved there's too many characters in these prequels that 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 have no purpose except yeah. to, to deliver plot and it's it's not interesting there, there none of this is interesting you know i don't need to know how this happens this is not why people wanted prequels to star wars do you know what i mean like on a real fundamental level there this the the entire focal point of these trilogies is a misdirection if they if george lucas had really understood what people responded to in the original star wars you know he would have made movies that were really tightly focused probably on anakin and obi-wan and you know yeah c3po and r2d2 can be there and padme can be there sure but it's not it's not what's happening you know, i want to see them the fighting and him slowly getting corrupted and them going on cool missions and you know i'm thinking you know there, there's 
I feel like, you know, a stronger connection to the original trilogy, like, that structure would have made more sense. But I'm thinking about the scene at the end of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, where, you know, he's, you know, he's trying to tempt Luke into the dark side. Like, we need to see Anakin realizing that here is, you know, I can use the dark side to get out of a situation and it'll make it easier, you know, like... And again, it- well, in a lot of ways, you know, that's kind of explained. But I think that that you know, and th- th- I think that is also linked up to another problem with this movie in particular is that nothing is explained because yeah. you know they 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 tell us that the Jedi are losing their their sense of the Force or something because that's a problem I have with the Phantom Menace where they have the Dark Lord of the Sith you know sitting right there in the conference room with them when they're talking about whatever the hell they're talking about and nobody can sense it. I was going to and- say it's ten years later now and he's grown even more powerful and they really can't sense it right and and the reason they tell that is because the 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 force is waning or something and their ability to lose it is going away and anakin is the one that's going to bring balance back to the force um which i guess is fine but you know it's just nothing is explained there's there's no doesn't it feel like you missed a couple things in between like you were supposed to read a couple novels or something that's yeah that that's (laughs) actually yeah i mean it feels like there's supplementary material that you need to watch to watch this movie and i don't want to do that (laughs) like you know what i mean like i I don't i don't want to read novels i don't want to read comic books like i don't want to do that if you're not going to make uh movies that are actually just you know discrete entities in and of themselves and tell tight stories why bother you know like yeah i mean like you know i could again i could appreciate if you want to make the movies are showing the big things you know the big events the so it's like all right give us you know two hours of spectacle you know and i'll read the novel to you know get the actual right on of the political plan you know if i care about that but you know and then you would have had you know the original trilogy is great because you can just watch it and enjoy the action, you know, and it's fun, you know, and the plots are simple enough to grasp. And if there are deeper stuff in that, I mean, we've recorded a few episodes, which suggests that there is deeper things in them. Um, you know, the, the prequels are, it's, it's just, they're really fucking pretentious. Yeah. They, yeah, they are. They're very pretentious. This is like a bad grad students, you know, version of Star Trek, Star Wars. And and the thing that that is, I think, most aggravating about it is you can see a kernel of a good movie in here. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a there's a lot of talented uh, people that were involved in these movies. The actors, yeah. the, the, the 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 all of the the um, all of the production, you know, staff. I mean, you know, all of the CGI. I mean, the the pra- the practical effects. You know, just there's so much talent that went into these movies, and it's just so wasted. And I think that's the most aggravating part of it, really. I would say the the problem is the that there was one person who was not that talented, right? And that he was in charge of everything. And that you know, I mean, <laughs> not now. I'm going to get pretentious, but I think that that you know, uh, uh, if you subscribe to the auteur theory of cinema, um, you know, like. Which I kind of do and kind of don't. I mean, I think that that it, it, it's a, it's a good framework for understanding movies. I think that it was it was a very um, it's obviously a very influential and important theory in 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 film studies. Um, you know, it, it's it's been hanging around for you know sixty years. Uh, I feel like it may be more applicable to some movies than others. Yeah, I, I but I think that that you can really this is I think I think that that the prequel trilogies are a great example of the auteur theory in action because this really shows that when you have have the wrong person in charge at the mm. top, 
It doesn't matter how many. It doesn't matter how much money you throw at something. It does. It might be better that you don't have unlimited funds. Um, you yeah. know, I think that a large portion why the original Star Wars movies work so well is because they had limits. You know, when this you is have such some a loaded movie, yeah. Well, the yeah, the problem is that you know George Lucas is a man with. I mean, you know, frankly, limited creative talent. And when you give someone with limited creative talent unlimited resources, this is what they make. Yeah, if he's having to choose, you know, if you have to pick and choose and you can only do half of what you want to do, well, you're going to do the things that you're best at, frankly, you know, or, yeah. you know, and so. Or you're going to bring in people to help you that are going yeah. to make what you're making better. And that's what happened with the original trilogy and the original Star Wars, you know, because it was so tight, you know. Again, it's a weird movie. It's not, you know, it, it it's a flawed movie in some ways, but it it works, you know. In in Empire Strikes Back, it's a bigger movie. It's a more ambitious movie, and he has other people picking up that slack. Mm-hmm. Here, he's trying to do it himself, and he's just he's. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to to assume that George Lucas was doing everything by himself. I mean, you know, Rick McCallum was the no, producer of, course, of this of movie, course. and he was very involved in in, in kind of the getting the grunt work done and making sure that everything was happening on time. I mean, I'm sure that there were associate directors. I'm sure, I know. You know. I was like, when, you, when you're a director on a movie like this, you aren't, you know, directing every single scene. And, you know, right. You know, right. You know, you're not sitting at the front. So, yes, you know, it, it does. You're, you're, in a way, managing other directors. But I think that, that to a large degree, they're taking all of their cues from George Lucas. And I think yeah. that they, you know, frankly, I think everyone trusted George Lucas and they shouldn't have. You know, I mean, like... Uh, uh, well, I think, you know, a perfect example of, of sort of the, the misfire creative instincts is the Django Fett thing. You know, oh my it's, God. you know, it's revealed that Django Fett is the what I, I don't know. It's like, you know, he's a he's the bounty hunter who like was all the clones were based so, on for some reason. You know, which, all right, fine. That makes sense. But then it's revealed that like Boba Fett is his clone son. And, and it's just like, what? OK, like, he, here's the thing. Ugh. Um I don't get Boba Fett. He's in like two minutes of the original movies and he's not like that interesting. And everybody flips their shit out about him. You know what I think it is? I think, frankly, he looks cool and he doesn't talk. Yeah. And so. I think he's mysterious and I think that's why people. And and you know. That's why he resonates with people. I really do think that's it. Which, you know, that's fair and that's fine. And now you you know he's a bratty 10 year old with a bad haircut. Yeah. And, you know, at a funny accent. And it's like. I mean, we were talking about last week how this is, you know, kind of demagicifying a lot of it, you know, and explaining too much. Like, it is explaining the, too much. We don't. We don't. Need now it. we know what he. Now we know exactly what Boba Fett looks like under the helmet. Yeah, and we don't need a backstory for Boba Fett. You know, I mean, we don't need um, a, a touching shot of ten-year-old Boba Fett picking up his father's decapitated helmet, <laughs> and 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 you know that's his origin story, and it's, he's like, I'm going to be. You know, we don't. We don't need that. I mean, it's not necessary, and I think that's that. That's kind of the fundamental problem with Attack of the Clones yeah. is that none of this is necessary. Yeah, or very very little of it is necessary. But again, it's, you know, and it's weird because you there is a very specific contingent of Star Wars fans who love this shit. This is their expand, you know, this is stuff that they've been reading about in the expanded universe for years and are now seeing on the big screen, which is fine. Yeah. But this was fucking Star Wars. It was advertised goddamn everywhere. You know, it was on every drink cup you would buy. Look, you You don't get the shampoo of it. And it like I will I will never criticize fans for wanting more material. Yeah, I am looking at four shelves of Star Trek novels right now. You know, there was, you know, like I've read Star Trek novels about like the Federation count. The Federation I was going to say, but, but here's the but thing. Wait, but I don't they're want- not making a 
two-and-a-half-hour movie version of Articles of the Federation. Well, yeah, exactly. And they're not making a West Wing version of Star Trek either. You know, I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see it. I mean, I would like to see it, but that's, you know, whatever. But And, uh, and also, that's the kind of thing which, you know, maybe that could work as a, as a low-budget TV series, you know, drama, you know, doing some kind of yeah. thing like that. But again, you wouldn't put it on a you know a multi billion dollar movie budget, and, right? You know, give this to every. I mean, I think it's funny because you know we 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 were when I, we were talking at one point about how you know a lot of movies now are made for the foreign market. How, how, can you figure the fucking foreign market on this movie? Like, I have no idea. Yeah, like I can't picture. I couldn't follow the plot, and the, I mean, I think that 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 it, you know that was obviously something that came a little bit later. I think yeah. that that started that that really started in earnest. I think about ten years ago. Yeah. Um, so, so a little you, after this movie. Came yeah. Out. So this came out in two thousand two. So yeah. and Phantom Menace came out in nineteen ninety nine. And again, also, I mean, I think that that you know I'm assuming that that Star Wars is is primarily an English language phenomenon as well. I mean, I, I don't know, but I I would just think so. What if it turns out that like internationally, like Jar Jar is like this beloved character? That that's fine. I I think that's great. I mean, good reason to stay in America. Well, and then you know, and what a what a fucking middle finger is it to have Jar Jar be the one who (laughs) makes Emperor Palpatine happen? Like, there's a lot of this movie that just feels like. government is this that jar jar goddamn base can say me so what the power and then suddenly it's hitler like how does this work i don't know i think like is our aren't they just talking about how fucking like stonewall the, the the senate is like and now nothing's happening yeah they're all clapping and it's like i, I don't get it i mean it, and that's the problem with it again is like I'm not necessarily interested in these questions or the answers to these questions, but the movie invites them. And, and, and here, so, like I said, it is, an, it is a degree of scale because, I mean, at one point they mentioned, oh, we have a thousand other you know, worlds join the Separatist movie. Like, these are billions and millions. It's, this, it's so fucking huge that, number one, you know, every single Jedi getting, you know, killed at the droid battle, that's insignificant compared to the people that are involved in you know and yeah. the series doesn't seem to do it seems to think it's you know dealing with a couple of countries in medieval england like that that's the problem like they want they want it both ways they want to tell I mean, this you know that's a problem with a lot of space fiction but of course but, but it's almost you know it, it, again it, it it's almost exaggerated here you know yeah. and to a degree that they're not aware of you know they don't know what it means that c3opo speaks two million forms of communication you know, they don't know how to deal. They're dealing with a universe I, that has a few thousand people in it. Well, I would, you know, this is, a, a, I was struck by in this movie, especially, you know, they're, they're, they're creating a lot of aliens now via CGI and they're still yeah. very humanoid. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's very few aliens in this movie. I mean, CGI frees you from making humanoid aliens. I was going to say, and, you know, and they the, still the mosquito looking things towards the end, like we're, you know. Um, There's a couple of aliens that are very different, but, but for I mean, the most think, part, they've got two legs, two arms, and a head. You know, I'm and thinking that's... of the scene when they're training the Padawans, which, number one, you know, they're doing the exact training that Luke had with the blast shield. Like, that that ruins that little moment in A New Hope, you know, because it seems like just some improvised thing that Obi-Wan is doing, you know, just to kind of jar his, you know, but I, then I you know. find I, out it's a formalized method of training. Like, it feels kind of I don't like, know. I, I kind of like that. I think but, that's one of the callbacks that works. I think that R2-D2 doing the little thing with the, um, you know, in the garbage compactor in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's turning off the lava machine thing in the same way in this movie. Which, and there's, you know, there's, but, there's a couple callbacks that actually work, I think. But I guess, you know, 
when you, when you see all you know, and you see all these Padawans of different species, some human, some not, and the non-human ones are CG when they could just easily be someone in makeup, and it would look a lot better. Yeah, it would look like they were actually in the same room. Like again, it couldn't. It could have been done very easily, and I, you know. One of the things I like about Star Wars as opposed to Trek is it is very creaturey. Yeah. And the original trilogy was very creaturey. This is just I'm watching cartoons. Like, yeah. I think CG is ugly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it is what it is. I, I, I always notice it. I never not notice it. I can turn off. See, you know, I mean, like you can see the little boxes around the ships in the well, original trilogy. I can edit those out in my mind. I, I personally I, can't. I, I think that you would be surprised at how much stuff you watch has CGI yeah. now. Like, and that's fair. You know, I recognize we are dealing with a two thousand two movie, and I'm, but I'm, I'm seeing some of the more obvious shots of it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think that that. I think we've covered it. I, I, I don't think that we need to talk anymore about this movie. It I don't is, want to talk anymore about this movie. It is, it is just astoundingly bad. And, and you know, it's, it's – I don't – I guess – I guess I understand why The Phantom Menace has such a bad reputation because that was the, the trauma moment for a yeah. lot of Star Wars fans. You know, that was the misfire. That was the movie they were waiting 16 years to see. And they got The Phantom Menace. In hindsight, I think the Phantom Menace. You know, if if you told me that uh, I had to watch either Attack of the Clones or the Phantom Menace, I would choose the Phantom Menace yeah. every time. I mean, uh, yeah. it, Attack of the Clones is just uh, Eric. A, just it, no, no, please, just talk. Tell them your information. Don't go through this again. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we're set up at the end of the movie with Padme and Anakin getting married. Isn't that great? So we'll we'll see what happens. We there. didn't even talk about you know Anakin's mother and you know all of that. What is it matter? I mean, that, you know, we talked about it a little bit. I think that's one of the things that actually works well. You know, again, Anakin's story in this movie, I think, is the the only thing that actually works. But it, it's a small part of the movie. It doesn't matter that much. You know, we get to see you know Uncle Owen, who's hot, and you know we get to see his girlfriend. Yeah, that was like the only real question that I had is who is Uncle Owen? All of this we we learned that. You know, it retroactively characterizes him a bit more because we realize that he took in the kid of somebody that he met for five minutes and that was really kind of horrible and, you know, yeah. that he, you know, learned all sorts, you know. So, but, th- but you know, that that's just a, again, that feels like something like, I think it might be interesting to have a novel about Uncle Owen. I don't necessarily, you know, think we needed to sit through to it. It wasn't worth seeing the rest of this movie to see that part. Uh, a, a sexy novel about Uncle Owen experimenting in uh, in, in Mos Eisley? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're talking about? Eric, Sorry, that's my... Eric opinion. said Uncle Owen. I, would lo- I am a moisture farmer. Would you like to farm for my moisture? <laughs> yes, said Eric. May the force be with you, said Uncle Owen. Why am I in the movie? Or why am I in the movie? You're not writing fan fiction about yourself? Uh, no. That's weird. Who does that? Everybody. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, you know, and again, we didn't really talk about Padme. I think that, that you know, Padme in this movie um, has been diminished greatly. You know, she's, she's kind of cool in The Phantom Menace, and she's probably the only character in the movie that feels like they're actually like a person. And in this movie, she's kind of moping around, and she falls in love with Anakin because the plot demands it, and she doesn't feel like a real person anymore. Yeah. And it's sad. I like when she's, you know, running around with the blaster in the last scene and, you know, figuring out her shit. And, you know, I like seeing her be action girl, but that's, you know... I would like to see Natalie Portman in a bit, Portman in a better action movie, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I would watch the Adventures of Queen Amidala doing like kicking ass and going around the galaxy. <laughs> Motion denied. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think that's that. 
<laughs> Thank God. We need to go uh, go to therapy now. I think and and I, no, I actually feel listeners. I need. I thank you for. Being on this journey with us, I'm feeling a lot better now, actually. Um, I, I, I am, you know, the, the sun is shining now, and I know I will never have to see Attack of the Clones again in my life. And you're, you're fine with that. I just hope Revenge of the Sith isn't, is just not continuing the trend. I'm not, uh, I'm not looking. F- I'm really, really not looking forward to it now. And that was the only one I was looking forward to. I'm like scared. You know it's gonna hurt. We'll see next week, won't we? Well, if you would like to leave a comment on this episode of Track About, if you have any thoughts about what we just said, thoughts about Attack of the Clones. I love Attack of the Clones. What the fuck is wrong with you? Please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Also check out our other podcast, our parent podcast, Truckabout, where we're talking about the third season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And uh, follow us on social media. We are Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, as a reminder, as we talked about earlier in the episode, we have a Patreon. So uh, please go uh, check that out and, and, and give us a couple bucks if you feel so inclined. Yeah, we need to uh, have those therapy bills for having watched this movie, yeah. so, which we watched for you. Well, Richard, next week we are ending. No, not yet. Oh, yeah, you're right. We have The Force Awakens, which will be fine. It'll be J.J. Abrams. It'll be entertaining, at least. Um, I was going to say, that you know, I, I'm the best I'm hoping for is it's a spectacly Star Wars movie, and there's space battles that are cool. And you know what? It'll have Harrison Ford and, and all those people in it, and it'll be great. Um, but next week, we, we can't do that yet because it's not even out yet. We'll, we'll talk about it in two weeks. Uh, next week, we are wrapping up the prequel trilogy, rapidly ending the first season of Truck About Presents with just two more episodes to go. Oh, so it's a British show. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about, of course, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Dun, 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 dun.